Well, I feel like there's been so much to say today that I've neglected to let you know that, um, especially for you online, who it's less obvious to, that Phil is not here today. Um, Phil was diagnosed with shingles earlier in the week. Um, he's been fine. <laughs> he really has been fine. It's been a little bit painful, but mainly just itchy. He's had it before about 15 years ago, and um, he just can't be here because, you know, it's just not good to be here with shingles. But he's actually doing all right. He's at home. He was messaging me during the beginning of the service, like, affirming, that was a good job, and I've just had to... Um, you know, do not disturb that. Sorry, Phil, that's just way too distracting. Um, but I'm preaching this week again. And I don't know if, if you know us, you know the way we operate. Phil um, does things very, very well, but a little bit more last minute than I do them. So um, earlier in the week when he was diagnosed and we realised he wasn't going to be around on Sunday. I'm like, okay, so what have you got for your sermon? And he goes, oh, I've listened to heaps of really good stuff. There's so much up here. I'm like, okay, that's helpful. <laughs> so, um, and then he offered to swap with me for next week, but I've already written next week's. So, <laughs> so I'll be doing this week and next week, and then he's going to do three in a row. So if you miss him today, you're going to get a good fill of him soon. So um, that's exciting. <laughs> A fill of fill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. See, I'm funny already. There you go. <laughs> Didn't even mean to be. So, um, so good morning. Does anyone else feel warm in here or is it just because I'm nervous? No, people are a bit warm. I feel a little bit warm and a little bit nervous this morning. But anyway, it's so good to have so many of you here. And for those of you at home, so good to have you there as well. And we're trying to remember that you're there. So, you know, keep a shout, shout out to us maybe. Well, many of you have observed over the last few months, if you've seen me in person or some of you have sent me messages because you're watching and said, do you wear glasses now? Has anyone noticed that I've been wearing glasses a little bit more than usual? Well, if, yeah, it's basically because I'm old and so officially I need to wear them all the time. Well, I've had reading glasses for a very long time um, and I've worn them on and off during my life, but I kind of really need them all the time now. Sorry, this is, I think that's better. Let's do one fiddle and hopefully that will be right. So basically, you know, when I'm in the kitchen and I'm cooking, I need them to be able to see the backs of the jars and the packets. So yes, I use the word cooking very loosely. But you know, the writing on those is so tiny, so I'm looking for them all the time. And last year when I got my eyes tested and got a new prescription, new glasses, they said you, you probably could wear them driving. You don't have to, but it might be helpful. And I was wearing them one night, and I discovered that those signs that have that big white writing on them they're actually writing. It's not just blurry white lines. They actually help you direct. They actually show you where to go. I could actually see so well. And so actually, the more I've realized how helpful the more they are, the more I've made sure I wear them. And I've, I think you know that you're a glasses person when you go to bed at night and you're like, oh, I've still got my glasses on. Like, it's kind of that thing. But I've spoken to a lot of you who have the same sort of thing, you know, who've, who've had similar problems with your eyesight. I've spoken to people who have had um, eyes up laser eye surgery and you've said about what a difference it makes. You don't realise how much good vision makes a difference until you've actually experienced it. Well this morning Jesus challenges us to correct our vision, to change the way we look at the world. He invites us to th see things from his perspective, to look at ourselves and the world the way he sees us, which is very alternate to the way that the world is seeking life to be. And he says that once we start to see the way things really are, it will have a profound impact on the way we live. 
So we've, we've started for the first couple of weeks, and if you missed out, you might want to go back and have a look, looking at this alternate kingdom. But this morning, we're going to look at three further principles about how we should live in God's alternate kingdom. And each one of them really is a challenge to see the world more clearly, to put our focus on the things of God first and foremost. Because by default, we're going to live in this kingdom of the world that we're born into. Even if we say we trust Jesus, unless we intentionally choose and really choose over and over again with every choice we make, unless we intentionally choose the alternate kingdom to put kingdom lenses on, to view the world the way God sees it, we're going to default into the way that the world sees we should be. So Jesus tells us if we're choosing God's alternate kingdom, his Sermon on the Mount, his preaching to his disciples and others come around, he says, if you want to live in the alternate kingdom, this is what it's like. He says, you will invest in treasures that will last. Matthew 6, 19 that Rod read to us earlier. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Last week's message you heard, you've heard it said, if you murder, you'd be subject to judgment. You've heard it said that you should store up here on earth. Don't store up treasures in earth. It's a temptation. It's what we would do naturally. But instead, Jesus said, like last week, there's this alternate thing, this alternate way, the way he designed. But store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Pursue those things that are not temporary, that are for the kingdom that lives on. In verse 21, for wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. And when I was younger, I used to buy things, I reckon, solely based on price. You know, in my mind, cheaper was always better. But now that I'm a little bit older and hopefully a little bit wiser, I realize that sometimes it's actually better to pay a little bit more for something of higher quality. And now I actually wear heaps of clothing that's like 10 and 15 years old. I look at old photos from 12 years ago and I'm like, I still wear those shorts. I still have that jacket because I've actually bought items that I know will last. I've thought about the big picture. And Jesus tells us that the same principle should be used when we decide how to live our lives. He says, look at the big future, the big picture Look at where you invest your time, your energy, your money. Invest in things that will last, not just that will pass away on this earth, but that will last eternity. Earthly treasures don't last. They're destroyed or they're stolen or we leave them behind when we die. But heavenly treasure cannot be taken from us, no matter what happens. Now, I want us to clarify, because we do invest in earthly treasures and we're tempted to do so, and some of those things are important. God's kingdom is about making intentional choices. So we do need to choose to store up. He's not against storing. In fact, intentional storing up in itself is certainly not wrong. In Israel, it was an agrarian culture that took in crops and resources. Um, in certain seasons, they'd gain certain things and they'd store them up for use the rest of the year. It was essential to their well-being. And there's lots of references in the Bible to the importance of wisdom in storing things up. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. One of my favorites, I've preached on this before, from Proverbs 6, 6 to 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, nor overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and it gathers its food at harvest. Even the temple had storerooms. We read in Malachi that people were to bring the tithe into the house of God. 
They were to store it up during the year and then be distributed to the priests and the Levites to look after them and their families at the right time of the year. Storing up is wise and prudent. Jesus is not commanding against this type of storing up, of, of use for later. We need to save for a rainy day, for unemployment, for times of uncertainty, for holidays, for retirement. That's not wrong. What Jesus is preaching against is the kind of storing up that's a symptom of greed, of, of acquisitiveness, you know, storing up more than we'd ever possibly need to the point where it would just fade away, rust, be stolen. Because he says, for the love of money and a love of independence from God is sometimes the result of that. We think we don't need God because we've got everything we need set up for the future. That's what he's warning against. And let's be real today, this is not just about money. Earthly treasures can be, go beyond simple possessions. We can spend all our time, all our energy, all our money gaining, gaining other treasure. Popularity, power, reputation, image, awards, accolades, grades, physical appearance. Now, none of these things are bad per se. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to win awards or to be popular. The question is, what are we really seeking? What's really at the depths of our heart? Treasures on earth aren't evil, not inherently, but what we should be seeking are treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. Lay up treasures in heaven. What does that even mean? Well, I read this this week and I found it, found it to be quite helpful. It says, treasures in heaven are things of worth in God's kingdom, such as justice, opportunity for everyone to be productive, provision for everyone's needs, and respect to the dignity of every person. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that? The implications that we do better to invest our resources in activities that transform the world rather than in securities that protect what we've already accumulated. Treasures in heaven have little to do with what we've got now and more to do with the impact that we're making in the lives of others. So if you're generous with your time or money and, and that contributes to someone coming to know Jesus, that nothing can ever take that away from you, the impact you've had on that person's life. If you're able to bless someone else, make their life a little better, that can't be taken away. If you spend time developing your relationship with Jesus, the benefits of that investment don't end when you die. And then Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. As I looked at that closely this week, I'd realized that I probably expected it to run the other way. You know, where your heart is, there, there you'll put your treasure. You can see where your, your heart is by where you put your treasure. But actually, that's not what Jesus says. He says, your tre treasure doesn't follow your heart. Your heart follows your treasure. Jesus says, you tend to put your money into things that matter to you, but then possessions you own will change you so that you care more about them than you care about other things. When you've put a large amount of money in something, it becomes an obsession sometimes. He says, so choose carefully what you own. Choose carefully where you spend your time, where you invest, where you focus, for you will inevitably begin to value and protect that, perhaps to the detriment of other things. So invest in treasure that will last. And secondly, he says, very closely related, choose who you will serve. Choose who you will serve. 
verses 22 to 24. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. How deceived you are if you think it's light and it's really darkness. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus tells us it's simple. We can't have two priorities in life. Only one thing gets to be at the very top. And Jesus uses this image of the eye. He says, if your eye is good, your body is filled with light. If your, if your eye is bad, then your body is filled with darkness. Now, Jesus isn't saying that people that need glasses are full of evil, I hope. <laughs> Most of us are doomed. He is giving us a metaphor about where we choose to put our focus, what we look at, what we focus on in life, where our priorities are. If we choose to fix our eyes on the things of this world, on the kingdom that we seem to be born into and be, be pushed into, that kingdom of success and striving and getting more and more, then we're going to find ourselves clamoring about in the darkness. We're not going to find what we want. But if we see things with God's focus, through the, through the vision, through the focus of his alternate kingdom, if we fix our eyes on his kingdom, then we'll see things clearly and we'll understand that this world... And all the things that go on with it is not all there is. Our focus, or if you like, where we put our hope, where we put our trust, is a choice. Paul says in 1 Timothy, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see that? He doesn't tell those who are rich not to be rich. He says, command those who are rich not to put their hope in that, not to put their focus in that, not to put their trust in that, but to put their hope in God who provides everything we need. And again in Hebrews 13 verse 5, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. When people put their hope in wealth, it seems to automatically lessen their dependence on God who's promised never to leave us, never to forsake us, and to be our true provider. We never want money to become a substitute for hope and trust in God. Again, money itself isn't bad. You've probably heard it, sell, it said, money makes a fantastic servant. The money that comes into this place is used wisely to help so many other people. If we didn't have the money, we'd be in trouble. Money is a great servant, but makes a terrible master. Let's never make decisions on our lives, about ourselves, about our families, about our church, about our world based on money. So what are you focused on? What is it that drives you? Look at your calendar. What, what dominates your time? Think about what you lay awake worrying about at night. What dominates your thoughts? When you get busy, what gets pushed aside? What about your bank account? What does that look like? How do you make your decisions? Where do you turn to for guidance? And finally this morning, Jesus reminds us that worry is a symptom of bad focus. Worry is a symptom of bad focus. He tells us that if we're truly focused on him and if we trust him alone, above all else, then we don't need to worry. I haven't got this all together yet. Verse 25, 
This is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, whether you have food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Well, the answer in our world is, well, probably not. It really is about food and body and experiences. It's about the pleasures we experience. But there's an alternate kingdom. Verse 26, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to, to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Bit of a rhetorical question. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we be there? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. In other words, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, why are you still thinking and behaving as if you didn't? Rather, the call to action to the alternate kingdom is this. Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. That's a bit of a depressing statement. But don't worry about tomorrow. There's, there's things that you need to think about tomorrow. But today, there's things that you need to think about. There's enough trouble for today. So consider for a moment, what do you worry about? What kept you up at night this week? Any guesses as, as what it was for me? Pretty much today, <laughs> this moment. <laughs> When we find ourselves worrying, it's because we're relying on ourselves rather than worrying, sorry, instead of trusting in God. Worry creeps in when we trust in other things, in our bank account, in what we've stored, in our hard work, in, in someone else. When we insist on taking responsibility for things that only God can do. We think God's abandoned us sometimes, but often the problem is that we're trying to do what only he can do. And Jesus is not saying that we have no responsibilities. I love what Karen said before. She said about praying as hard as you can about things and then working as hard as you can for things. That's exactly it. That wasn't the exact words, but that was the sentiment. And that's the message from God this morning. Do what he said to do. Results are God's domain. Following direction is ours. So we need to obey God. We need to seek first his kingdom. Do what he says. But ultimately, we need to pray. We need to trust that he will then do that. When we truly trust that God will take care of us, that his way is best, it really does set us free. We can, we can stop worrying about the things that we can't control and leave them in his hands. It's not an easy message. We said at the beginning of this series, this, this isn't a series of easy messages. It's perhaps the most well-known message of, of Jesus, but the hardest to apply. And so this morning, we're going to do something a bit practical. Most of us know, right? We know in our head that God can be trusted. We know that. We've experienced that in the past, some of us. I certainly have. But I would suggest that it's very important that we regularly take time to remember. And we're going to do that today. But it's great spiritual discipline for us to do regularly. I started, I shared this with my leadership team on the leadership team on Monday that I started a reading plan at the beginning of this year on spiritual disciplines. And it's like 28 spiritual disciplines. I probably could have, you know, read off five or six to you, you know, reading the Bible, giving, fasting, prayer, celebration. But one of the less practiced ones is that of remembrance. 
And it was one that's referred to regularly in the Old and the New Testament. You see, God has always been good. God has always been faithful. And when we stop to remember that, it gives us a real good solid base to choose trust over worry. But sometimes, not with our heads, not with our knowledge, but sometimes with the way we live, with the choices we make, we reflect that we've forgotten who God truly is. And all of us are prone to forget what God has done. But through his word, God shows us that remembrance isn't a passive thing. Remembrance isn't just something, oh, I remember this. It's actually an act, an intentional act that we need to make, a choice to remember. And we're going to do that for a moment this morning. You know, when Jesus gathered with his disciples, three years after this sermon that he preached on the mount, he knew his disciples would forget how good he is and how much he can be trusted, how much he would provide for them. And so he implemented an object lesson, an act to do in remembrance of him. It's it's hard to fathom that Jesus' friends could forget this world-changing sermon, especially when it came straight from them. It's unthinkable that they could deny who he was straight after he implemented this act. But they could, and they did, and we forget too. In his mercy, Jesus was showing them and through them showing us how to remember the things that matter most. Jesus provides for the things we need. He's done in the past. He's going to do it again. And so today, we're going to remember the provision, ultimately, of the way of salvation. We're going to thank God for his gift of salvation, his body broken for us, his blood spilt for us. Now, Jesus invites us to do this with every meal we share. I grew up in a household and we've implemented that our household, that every meal we share together, we say grace. We thank God for the food. We try to remember to thank God that he is good and for his gift of salvation. It's an important discipline. But occasionally we do that here in church together. And I thought it would be meaningful on our first Sunday back with some people in the room and to do this together. So if you haven't grabbed one of these as you came in, you can go up the back now and grab one if you'd like to, to do this with us. And there's two little bits to this. It's a little like um, communion, COVID safe communion cup thing. And so I'm going to invite you now to open the top of it. And there's some wafers in the top or a wafer in the top. And it represents the bread. It represents the body of Jesus. In Luke 22 verse 19, it says, And he took bread, gave thanks for it and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you eat, remember the gift of salvation. You can slip it, let your mask off just to do this little part. And remember, think about what God's done in the past. The way he's provided a way where you thought there was no way. The way he's opened up opportunity for a job that you wouldn't even imagined that you'd be able to do. The way he's been with you and given you peace at a time where you don't think it was normal to experience peace. Thank you, Jesus. And then you might want to open the bottom section where you get to the juice. 
And verse 20 of Luke 22 says, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this, drink this in remembrance of me. Would you join me in prayer? God, you have done so much for us. You are good. Your mercies endure forever. You not only provide a way for us to be clothed and fed and to provide for our families, but most importantly, you've provided a way for us to experience true, true freedom. Thank you for the gift of yourself. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for loving us unconditionally. Help us to really know how much you love us, how much you care about us, and how much you can be trusted with everything that we have, with everything that we are. Help us to rely more and more on you and the things you tell us, rather than those distractions that come around us so often. God, we're a grateful people. We're grateful to be here. We're grateful for this moment of remembrance and help us to remember more regularly in our lives. Help us to have that as a discipline, to stop, to be grateful, to know you are good and to trust you more, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.